Hello and welcome to Rodcast with me, Lee Durrant. Um, this is the podcast where we, we learn how Salesforce experts started their careers many years ago and, and get under the skin of what it's like to work in the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, you know, ever wondered how someone rose to the ranks of a head of practice at, at a consultancy or perhaps became a CTO? Then, then this is the podcast to listen to. Um, we'll also get some, some real life tips from them and advice on on what you can do in your Salesforce career. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Hello, um, welcome to the latest edition of Rodcast with me, Lee Durrant. Uh, in today's episode, we are speaking to Penny Townsend, uh, a self-titled Salesforce veteran. I've been in the space for 12 years now and has worked her way up to Chief Operating Officer at a growing Salesforce consultancy. A really great interview. Um, she's, yeah, she's got loads of, loads of tips for you guys, so I hope you enjoy this one. So joining me today is, is Penny Townsend. Hi, Penny. How are you doing, mate? Hi, Lee. I'm great, thanks. Thanks very much for having me in for the chat. You're kidding, aren't you? So, um, my, you know, I'm very grateful that you said yes. I know how busy you are, and uh, it's it's great to have you on the uh, the podcast. Um, as as you know, we're doing this because it's our 10 year anniversary, and we had this. Actually, it wasn't me. Our marketing department had this idea that it would be great for us to speak to people that have been around the Salesforce ecosystem for as long as we have, um, or even longer in some cases, which I think might be you. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like 10, ten years of, of being in this space and uh, great to speak to well, what we're calling Salesforce legends. But I, I, what I like about your profile is you refer to yourself as a Salesforce veteran, which is nice. Yeah, and it frequently feels like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, so thanks for doing it. And um, I, I appreciate you're doing this kind of off the cuff as well, which is which is really exciting, I think, because all, of, all we really want to chat about is your career and, you know, how you got into it. So and we'll, we'll, we'll break it down, but how you got into it, you know, what, what your first experience was in Salesforce and then sort of the journey that's taken you from getting into it to where you are today. But obviously, if you want to give us a little uh, overview of, of, of you and who you are and what you're doing now, then we'll just sort of get, get going from the beginning, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Lee. Well, I saw on LinkedIn, because you did a, a conversation like this with Gemma, and she shared it, and I saw that Francis wrote on there, oh, yeah, I think Lee was the first ever recruiter I spoke to as well. And I was going to put a message on there saying, yeah, Lee was all our first. And I thought, <laughs> thank me for that. <laughs> no, you're right. No, you're right. As you say the word veteran, yeah, you feel like it, don't you? But it, it's, it's <laughs> but gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when, when did you get into it, though? When, when did you... When was your first experience with Salesforce? I've obviously gone through your LinkedIn profile and trying to remember, but perhaps yeah. you can let us know. Like a lot of people, um, my first experience of Salesforce was by accident. So that must be about 12 or 13 years ago now when I was working at the Carbon Trust, who were an early not-for-profit customer of Salesforce. Yeah. So back then, Salesforce really only had... You know, more than a handful, but but certainly not hundreds of customers over in EMEA. Um, and uh, Carbon Trust were quite a, a good brand for them to win in the not-for-profit space. Um, and I was working for the Carbon Trust Standard, which was a, a subsidiary. And we were using an old database called ACT. So I'm showing my age here. Oh, it was an, yeah, I've heard of that as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. And it was really, it's perfect for keeping track of people's names and addresses and birthdays and stuff, but it didn't really have any 
functionality. Um, and uh, the, the standard company was growing really fast. And given that Core Carbon Trust had Salesforce, the decision was made to roll out an org for uh, the standard company. So in my initial experience was as kind of um, the, the product owner, I suppose, the end user. So we got a consultant in and I worked with him on defining the requirements. And I was initially incredibly skeptical about what Salesforce could deliver um, and then was really blown away by seeing it in practice. You know, back then, having the stages, having the process flow, having the workflows, all of that was really radical um, and fantastic to be able to see that. Um, So that was my first experience there. And we actually did a couple of really innovative things. So we did um, uh, um, a website using Salesforce so that small companies could put details of their energy uh, footprint into that website and it would automatically come through to Salesforce and and that kind of thing so so that's what first got me a bit excited about Salesforce well yeah. that's that was going to so my next question usually is then at what at what point did you know that that was going to be your career because um and I'm going back a little bit now but you, you had a uh, a reasonable career before Salesforce didn't you in, in so that it's a very sweet way of saying you're really old aren't you? <laughs> Hey, you're young. You're younger than me, so don't you know? Let's um, just remember that. I'm the oldest person here at Presedo. I'm our oldest employee, um, which really makes me laugh every day. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'd worked for a long time in financial services, predominantly before going to the Carbon Trust. I'd actually just before I started there, I'd had about eighteen months off to be at home with my daughter. Hmm. So I'd sold. Um, a business that I was um, there was two of us running that company and we sold it and I used the money from that to spend a bit of time at home with Lottie because she was about 20 months when we sold that business and I'd gone straight back to work after she was born so I was really worn out by then and also by the time your child gets to that kind of age they they know you and they can grab you and they can say, I want to be with you, mummy. So it was harder to go off to work every day. So um, I took kind of belated maternity leave, I suppose, for about 18 months. But then I think like a lot of women, it was quite difficult for me to get back into work more so than I'd expected. So the job I went into at the Carbon Trust actually was on less than a third of the salary that I'd been on Whoa. before. Wow, okay. Yeah, it was a completely different industry and all that. It was a big, big switch. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you'd had a, a successful business that you sold before, um, before even getting into this space. That, that's, that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. And so whilst at the time then taking a third or being on a third of the money you're used to, it, that I'm guessing you're looking back thinking it's one of the best things you ever did in terms of where you are now. Yeah, exactly. And it, honestly, it didn't feel like that at the time. Um, uh, it was, it was quite a tough time. I broke up with my daughter's father during that time. And then with going back to work, I actually, you know, there's a lot of talk these days around diversity and getting women back into the workforce. And for me, if it hadn't been for the working families tax credit supporting me with my childcare costs, I don't think I'd be in this job now. Um, so it was, uh, I was very fortunate that I had that and it could help me stay in work. And I think that speaks to some of the values and the ways of working that we have here at Presedo now, which I can maybe talk about a bit later. But um, yeah. yeah, I was fortunate I was able to be in work. And so uh, after I left the Carbon Trust, I did a bit of contracting for a few months. And then I went to work at British Standards Institution 
uh, which was another one of Salesforce's early EMEA customers. Mm. And I initially went in there to be um, the kind of head of sales for um, their, their services, which was a, a tough job with a big team. And they already had Salesforce, but I could see compared to the innovative brand new solution I'd had at Carbon Trust, I could see lots of scope for improvement. And, um, and basically somebody asked me to put my money where my mouth was and mm-hmm. run big projects to um to transform their salesforce org which then took over my life <laughs> so yeah so so basically at bsi you were you were initially sales as in like doing the sales and just using salesforce uh, and, and in its basic form that they had so that even that was still a sales role initially yeah exactly so i was mm. a sales leader so um, BSI has many different aspects to it. And the team I was responsible for was selling auditing of standards. So we had 12 territories with a field sales guy and a tele-sales guy on each and a really tough target, a monthly target to hit. Um, and so Salesforce was actually absolutely cru- crucial to our ability to both have transparency of what was going on and to hit our number um, and all the associated processes around that. And uh, there were some things uh, like around using Conga and EchoSign that I'd done at Carbon Trust that I wanted to bring uh, to, to BSI. So I ended up running a, a really massive project there because they've got, you know, it was thousands of users in multiple different countries um, and over five apps that, that we brought in, including a, a really sophisticated early CPQ. So again, it was quite an innovative project to work yeah, on yeah blimey early CP- cpq so sort of you know it, it's it's so current at the moment but to be doing it what was that then sort of seven yeah. years ago crikey yeah, at least yeah yeah a good long while ago yeah and um so so that then so even though you did salesforce at the carbon trust you didn't go into bsi thinking i'm a salesforce person you went in there still being sales so yeah. what when was it then that you had that aha moment or, and we just thought, you know what, this, this is for me, this, this technology, I'm going to just specialize in that from now on. So I guess I'd been that, that, that had gone from being an idea of doing that project to very quickly being a kind of change of role to be responsible for that program of work. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I could see the need that there is in Salesforce to combine business understanding and process understanding with getting the best out of the technology. And I think for me, that job at BSI was kind of the perfect combination of all of those things because I came with a long history of working in business and pretty good understanding of what makes business tick. Um, Both at Carbon Trust and BSI, they're very orientated towards good quality business process, as you'd expect from an ISO 9001 kind of auditing and writing those standards type of company. And that combined with a bit of knowledge around Salesforce that I had, especially some of the more innovative side, it kind of was a a perfect storm for me to, um, to, to really understand maybe some value that I could add about that. And at the same time, you know, so I said that we'd had five, apps that we built into that org so back then conga was very very small um, and world tour was tiny you probably remember it lee you know i think you'd go along there'd be you know a few hundred people there maybe yeah so i'd um got to know mark and paula 
um, at Conga reasonably well. And it, and it was just funny timing because Mark had decided it was the right time that um, Conga had enough customers across EMEA that they wanted to hire somebody to lead and grow the Conga business in EMEA. They'd had a couple of people working to cover the time difference on doing support tickets and so on, but he felt he really needed to make more of a business over here. And so I started talking to them about doing that job and it was a very difficult decision for them to make because they'd never hired any managers or anybody senior before. They'd always just grown their own internally um, because culture was so, so important to Mark and Michael and they didn't want to hire anyone that might break that. Yeah, and so, that's, so that's when you got the, the role as MD for the EMEA at Conga. That's, um, yeah, yeah. and it was, it was more like joining a family than getting yeah. a job in a traditional sense. That it was really important to them that I had a good fit. And, you know, they, I went out to the States with my daughter and Mark's wife looked after her while I went to work every day. And, Brilliant. you know, it was a completely different experience to any I'd had before in, in terms of getting a job. And... Um, I keep nagging Mark and Michael to write a book because their whole approach to running that business is quite exceptional um, and very, very successful. So yeah, I came in and that was then a bit of a baptism of fire because I started working for Conga and we must have already had five or 600 customers across Europe. And initially there was me and Ross and Karen just in her last couple of weeks to do all the support tickets. Um, so even though my job was to run the business and grow the business, I was also dealing with support tickets day in, day out. And it was crazy, but I'm, wonderful. And that's, so that's, you know, that's a good early example. You're talking about the, the, the well tour or whatever it was called back in those days. I want to say cloud force. Was it? Cloud cloud? Force. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but a good example then that people go, can, can go along and obviously learn about different things, but you, you know, there's, there's opportunities everywhere, isn't there? So, you know, so for you to go along as a, well, as a Conga customer, and then and then come away with an MD role, it's pretty um, that's pretty exciting. Um, but how did BSI take that? Is that a strange oh, question? Yeah, they were okay about it, and it was a, a challenging time. But um, yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was fine because, in a way, you know, they were Conga customers too. So knowing that they had somebody that had their best interests at heart over there was a good thing. And you know, they're a big company, and people move around a lot. So yeah. And what's, um, I mean, a lot of people out there that, that are starting their careers or whatever, or maybe they're in their first job in Salesforce, the, the, some of the questions we always get asked is, what, what's the difference of being at a, at a customer what's the, to being at an ISV? And of course, now later in your career, and we'll keep going through, obviously, you're now at a consultancy. What, how, how different was it at Conga? And I know your role was obviously much more pressure on you by the looks of it, but how different is it being at uh, an ISV app company to, to being a customer? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And I think definitely one of my advantages um, in my career has been doing a little bit of all of that. Mm. So being involved in a greenfield implementation at Carbon Trust was really important because you get to see what an organization goes through in that kind of before Salesforce, after Salesforce experience. Um, But then also knowing what it's like to be living with a Salesforce org years into it um, and some of the challenges that come from that, that was very valuable. Um, And working at an end user, that helps especially for young people in our industry to understand and when they're given requirements, what those actually mean, how they relate to people's real jobs and what it's like to be maintaining that kind of a a system. And that's 
so important that so often if I'm interviewing people I'll often recommend that they they do make sure to have time under their belt at an end user in their career you can't beat it for understanding that but then being at an ISV is very different because while I was at Honda I must have seen hundreds and hundreds of Salesforce orgs and that was great for me to see this huge range of implementations and different approaches that people take to Salesforce um but also you're only getting to see this tiny, narrow window of what they're doing. Yeah. So sometimes customers would call up for help and I'd see, and I'd be like holding my head in my hands thinking, how on earth did you end up here? Why did you build it to do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the conga bit's fine, but the rest of it's insane. Um, but it was really <laughs> to see lots and lots of different, different systems. Um, and you definitely get that from being at an ISV, but um that one of the big challenges with being at an ISV is often you're the last thing on the list. So, you you know, products come in when a particular requirement can't be delivered any other way. And then it's often challenging dealing with customers around the commercials and, and that kind of thing mm. uh, because, they, you know, they feel like they, they don't have budget for that. So there were lots of challenges um, and lots of changes for me in terms of how, how that went. But I really enjoyed building the team. And for me there, as you know, because I, I recruited, you know, I was recruiting like groups of three at a time directly through you. Um, and so hiring people and bringing them on to learn Salesforce, I learned a lot about how to onboard people. So definitely hiring two or three at a time so people have somebody else to lean on so they're not in it on their own that was something that was really important and figuring out how to train people and um and how to actually push people into taking support tickets before they feel ready because otherwise it's very easy to end up feeling like you're never ready um yeah i i um remember but you know trying to obviously myself and, and the team here working on those roles for you um two things i was going to say actually three things firstly i remember the conga t-shirts that you used to not t-shirts like hawaiian shirts you guys used if i remember rightly you kind of you kind of did that before tequila made it a thing am i right or definitely so the floral shirt we actually Mm. even had a hashtag for a while so floral shirts were a big thing in in conga and you, you only got your floral shirt you had to earn it so you had to be in Congo for at least three months. So you had to pass your probation and you had to be doing a good job of resolving your tickets before you could get a floral shirt. But I remember being at Dreamforce and a big group of us walking up the street in our floral shirts and having people literally shout from across the road, Congo, Congo. <laughs> everybody knew us and everybody knew those shirts. So it was such, it was such a big thing at the time. It was Really, yeah. I know, and, 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 you know, pioneers in that respect because you go to Dreamforce or, or the World Tours now and it's almost like everyone's got some, uh, for want of a better word, gimmick, haven't they? Um, and if, if, I mean, I'm sure it's a possibility that you guys weren't the first, but the fact that you did that, it's quite memorable. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, was uh, you must have done something right because in regards to training people because there's, I, mean, I won't necessarily name names, it's up to you if you want to, but there's two or three people that, that worked for you at Conga that I specifically remember that have gone on to become, you know, in, in seriously big names in the Salesforce space. Um, so you've obviously, you know, you obviously looked after them well. Oh, yeah, thank you. I mean, it is, I think it is a great opportunity 
to when you get in front of lots of different customers, when you get to see lots of different Salesforce setups, it's a great grounding to learn about. And and Congress is a very strong brand and that helps with your own personal brand and growing your career. So again, those are things for people to think about who are maybe young professionals in the space and are looking to build their careers. Those are other considerations to have about how the role they're taking now kind of relates to where they want to get to in the future and working for strong brands is always a really good idea. Yeah, that's a, that's a good good tip and and, and um, something we come up against you know, I'm sure you might have done it as well. When you're recruiting for, or you are uh, an ISV, let's say, and you're recruiting for Salesforce skills, sometimes people, the people are a bit concerned that they're going to be pigeonholed. Like you said, your your you know, your reference to you know very narrow um, window of what what you, what Conga would do for uh, a Salesforce org. So that how did you did you find that sort of pushback with candidates, or did you? And if you did, how did you overcome it? Um, yeah, you're right, actually, because sometimes. Um, you'd um, interview people who wanted to do the whole kind of soup to nuts implementation or wanted to really geek out about a new um, dev that was coming from Salesforce that they wanted to play in and they wouldn't get the same chance to do that with Conga. So that's very, that's very true. And I think that is true of, of hiring people into ISV roles. Um, but at the same time, it gives you other benefits, particularly soft skills, um, whether you're going into a sales engineering type of role or a support role, um, that ability to really understand how a product fits into the landscape more broadly and get to know lots of different customers, those are invaluable skills. Um, And I think in the Salesforce space for the last few years, and I think for the next few, it's so highly competitive for for people in roles that Mm. I you really don't run much of a risk of getting pigeonholed because all of that experience will be valuable. As long as you kind of keep your uh, certs up or keep your knowledge up, then you'll continue to become a valuable resource for other types of role. Perfect. Um, and then um, moving on from, from Conga, so sorry, I know I interrupted you a little bit. So when you, when you then, your journey at Conga, which we you know was three years, that's probably the longest that... If I'm correct, the longest that you at that point you were in a Salesforce related role. What what happened to move to you know, the move to Documil and, and and where you are now? What what was the the thought process around those moves? Um, so one of the things that I was very lucky to be able to do in Congo was that in the last year I was there, Mark and Michael were thinking that they wanted to retire. So I was very lucky to have been able to work directly with founders. And again, I think that that's something I'd say should be on everybody's checklist of something they want to do at one point during their career, because um, it's a very different experience working with founders of a business compared to leaders of a business. Okay. Um, In what way? uh, Because the founders... Uh, their personality and the business's personality are interconnected. It's a very blurred line between where the person ends and the business begins. And they, you know, leaders can be incredibly passionate about a business, but when somebody has founded it, that sense that it's their baby and also that it's their money never goes away. Even if the practical things change, that level of attachment of, you know, like the, apron strings they remain there and um and it's really fascinating seeing how founders operate and how 
where their values are about the business. It's quite a different experience. So definitely one I'd recommend. I've, I've asterisked that to share on the notes afterwards because that's a great, great tip if people, because there's so many out there now, and there? there's so many um, ISVs and, and, and consulting companies where you probably can get to work with the founders as you are now with, with where you are now. Um, so, yeah, what, so sorry, go on. About Salesforce, that you can still do that. There are small enough businesses that you can still work in founder-led companies and work directly with the founder. It's really cool. Get to see what it's like to be a founder and the stress that they put themselves under. And obviously you've had the experience yourself then from your, the, the company you mentioned previous to, um, to Salesforce experience where you, 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 you know, sold something. Um, and yeah, you know, I've got that. I'm, but the problem we have as founders here is that I think like you just said, you're so ingrained in it that you just don't know when and how to let go. Um, but that's obviously something they managed to sort out for. So, so good luck to them. Yeah, for about three years, I assumed that you had somebody called Rod as one of your founders, Lee. I was like, when am I going to get to meet Rod? I know. We, people still think that. And, um, and it's, it's great. One day we'll hire a Rod and uh, perhaps he could he'll take over these podcasts and do a much better job. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so, so what happened then with, with uh, Documil? Very similar kind of company, were, were they not? Uh, yeah. So um, in my last year or so at Conga, Mark and Michael had decided that you know, they'd been there for kind of 10 years. They'd put a lot into it. And, and Mark especially was kind of ready to retire. You know, his first grandchild was on its way and that kind of mm. thing. So they were, one of the great things about that being a very flat structured, and despite the fact the two founders were men, actually all of the senior leadership underneath them were women. Um, one of the great things about the way that we worked is that it was very flat structured. So when it came to them thinking about uh, where to take the business next. We were all completely involved in those conversations and in those options. Um, so in the end, the business was sold and um, and kind of uh, just loads of changes flowed from that, um, some of which I really loved and some of which not so much. And, and overall, like a, as so often happens in these situations, just a whole bunch of us kind of moved on to do other things. So over the kind of, next six months to a year after that lots of us um moved on to go and do something new um so i left and although i was primarily working for uh, documil i was actually contracting so i was helping a few other small isvs get off the ground as well so they're a finnish based company they also do document generation like conga um but with a very different uh, take on that kind of a product at different angles. So they've got different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and it was really interesting to work with those guys as well as a couple of other small apps to, to help them uh, kind of grow and build a bit of a market in the UK. And for me, it was another good experience of going from like a really well-known strong brand to a fantastic product that nobody had heard of. Huh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was cool so I spent a lot of time going to user groups uh, which was also a really good experience and definitely something I'd recommend people do um, there's there's so many of them now isn't there it's uh, it's a well, it's a full-time job to probably um you know keep keep on top of of, of what ones are going on and where um so that's interesting i forgot that you were a contractor then because i was going to ask because one of the questions i do ask people is what's the sort of day-to-day difference of being a contractor to being a in inverting commas permanent employee does it feel any different or did you do it long yeah. enough to to get the feeling of you know the, there's a difference to it, it definitely does feel different it definitely does feel different because there are, you've got um, more risk. And I think that was ultimately why I decided to stop being a contractor. 
And so although I'd taken out insurance and all that kind of thing, I still felt, uh, I don't know, Mm, yeah, I felt more risk, but I also felt a little bit lonely as well. You know, mm. building the business in the UK on my own, I had a team in Finland, but I'd had a bit of the same experience at Conger actually, where, you know, especially in the early days, it was just me. And um, and even when the team grew, I was, I was the boss, which sounds very grandiose, doesn't it? But <laughs> can be very lonely as well. So at Conga, I was the head of EMEA, but all of my peers were in Colorado. So when I had a bad day, or when I was having a tough time making a decision, or um, when, when it was just difficult, there was no, I had no peers around me to talk to, to help me make those decisions, to share in the responsibility. I was carrying it all. Um, and it felt the same then when I was a contractor as well that um, I know and in my personal life I carry a lot of responsibility because I'm a lone parent mm. and it felt like it was just not fun anymore and I missed having peers to, to kind of bounce ideas off and, and share the load with at work. Yeah I can appreciate that and um, I you know as you probably know I, we my wife and I, Teresa, we own uh, Rod, and it's it's tough, but it's nice to have that that person that you can basically whinge at um, and and get it get it back. Because um, you, you can't, you know, it, with peers, you can probably have a drink after work and, and just get stuff off your chest. You can't do that downwards, can you, so to speak? Exactly, you can't you can't put that on other people for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, you don't want to make it seem like you have favorites or that you've got friends and non-friends in the team or you don't want to when you're you know you're paid more to carry the responsibility it's then not fair to share that burden with people who aren't paid to carry the responsibility so for all of those reasons um there's lots of real positives about being the boss but it is also quite isolating um Tough at the top, yeah, yeah. Well, um, do you know, I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn, and I've just realised that you, I, uh, is there a because you, you've missed so you left Document, then you went somewhere else. But that's not on your LinkedIn. I just noticed. Yeah, I, know, I never got around to it, Lee. That's how rubbish. Do you know what? It's for us recruiters. We just assume that everyone's LinkedIn is perfectly up to date, and and you know everything's like, like a CV. But yeah, it's, I, I kind of almost forgot that you had a uh, a spell at a, at a large consulting company. So that was that a shock to the system, or what was that like? Um. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system, actually. <laughs> Probably doesn't surprise you. Um, so, yeah, I went to work. I don't know. Should I, can I name them? I can name them, can't I? I, work there. So I, just, I, went, I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, yeah go for it. I can get around to putting it on LinkedIn. There's nothing secret about it. So I went to work for Cognizant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, that was really different. And my thinking there is that that would give me a lot of the a lot of the things that I felt I was missing so you know I just spoke a bit about feeling a bit lonely at, and work and I thought great this is the you know there's 250,000 people in this country surely I've got to find one or two friends <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um and then I thought I really want more of a day-to-day routine and it'll be nice that somebody else has the responsibility for paying me not having to do it myself um, there, there was lots going for it. Um, and also you introduced me to JK, who's yeah, probably somebody you should have one of these conversations with because he's been around forever, hasn't he? He's on my list, uh, trying to get Jonathan to agree to a time slot. He's, he's, he's not easy, but I'm, I'm on him, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has no time, does he? No. Um, 
<laughs> um, and JK is absolutely brilliant. A lovely, lovely man, real true expert at Salesforce and kind of no ego, just loads of knowledge and mm. wonderful man to work with. Um, so I spoke to him and I thought, wow, yeah, this will be really great. I can learn a lot from him. And um, having not really had a boss for a few years, I thought this would be good. Um, so yeah, so I went to work for them and I was there for about 10 months all told, um, and was working on a big, uh, enterprise project for them. So one that had a rolling program of Salesforce development. So some innovative, um, things happening, but also a lot of, uh, routine maintenance changes and updates, you know, thousands of users. So quite complex in terms of the ongoing BAU work. Um, and that was the first time I'd worked on anything on that scale. That was way bigger than BSI, very different. I had uh, teams across at least three, if not four different locations. Yeah, maybe I had two teams in India, a team in Barcelona, a team in Eastern Europe, and a team in the UK for five locations. Um, and I was traveling a lot for that project, which is ultimately a big reason for moving on. Um, yeah. But that was, yeah, that was a bit of a shock to the system um, and very busy. But, but good. Again, lots of fun. Yeah, and, and lots of experience gained even in the 10 months you were there. Um, and that's, to, as, we, as we discussed earlier on with the, the ISV um, perception of people, a lot of people don't, don't want to work for a, a big consulting firm or even a small one sometimes because of the perceived amount of travel and lack of time they're going to spend at home with their loved ones. Would you say that that's fair or you know was that your experience in, in that scenario and it's not just it's not just about cognizant i appreciate there's a load of others that are just like that is it is that a fair assumption that's that's what, what consulting is like yeah so i think yes and no working through, yeah working at a gsi is something again i think is is really useful in your career because the whole thing of being at a gsi is then you get the experience of being in a really sophisticated salesforce practice but that where the Salesforce practice is a small part of that overall offering. Mm. So for me, what was really interesting was about seeing how the Salesforce piece of the work slotted into the creative, the digital, the innovation, the general strategic consultancy that's offered to a customer. Um, and that was really fascinating to be part of that and not something I'd been able to do before. Um, uh, so I, I got a lot out of that, but you're right. There is a lot of travel. I think I went in there at a relatively senior role, so I had more opportunity to, to control that. Mm. Um, but even so, you know, you, when you are part of such a massive organization and especially when the Salesforce part of that business is relatively small, you can feel, you know, a bit like you're bobbing around on the ocean, you know, for me, something was a real switch going from being a big fish in a small pond to being a tiny little fish in a ginormous ocean. So yeah, it was real. I like that. Yeah, it's good. So, and I mean, listening to, listening to your journey to this point or to the point we're at in the, in the chat, um, you can see why you were the perfect choice for the role that you're doing now, can't you? I mean, obviously you, you, you may have not noticed that at the time, but, um, for people that haven't looked at your your profile on LinkedIn, you're now Chief Operating Officer. Is that right? Is that your title? I always say Presido. Is it Presido? You can say either. We're not Presido. <laughs> Good. Okay. 
placebo, it's they're both fine. Yeah. And this is another one where I have to thank you, Lee, because half of these jobs we've talked about, you got me. And um and Presedo, it wasn't even just that you got me the job, it was that you had the whole you had the whole idea of me being the right fit for the company at the right time. Um, you know, you made the whole thing happen. It wasn't like Matt was advertising a role or anything like that. You just knew it. Well, yeah. Um and but you you have that thing that a lot of people that are really, really good at what they do, you just don't seem to, I don't know what, what, what it is, but you don't necessarily seem to believe in yourself that much, you know? You're, you're, is, that, is that fair, do you think? Um, yeah, probably a bit. I don't know. Um, yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, there are, I'm always striving to do better or be better. Uh, and, you know, it is tough. It's tough being at, like, being responsible for everything at home and that does give you a different perspective on yourself because even if I have a day at work where I'm like yeah smashed it what I was just a rocking COO today I can go home I I walk in the door having had a really long day and my teenage daughter says can you make my carbonara now I'm starving and it does bring me back down to earth (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I love that Um, and and actually I'm knowing Matt and Presido, Presido, obviously not them, uh, knowing them the way I do, you probably have that feeling now that you've found that family that you perhaps had a while back, but you, you, you didn't necessarily get in the bigger consultancy. Is that, is that good? Yeah, definitely. It was um, like an, a match made in heaven, I suppose. I think that um, Matt was at the right stage of growth in the business to be able to, to take somebody on into this role. Um, and a bit like... Uh, finding the job at Conga, I was the right person at the right time. So uh, I think somebody that had come in who was much more rigid around process, much more used to big company ways of working, wouldn't have fitted here. But equally, it needed to be somebody with a lot of um, experience and kind of able to come in and be a bit of a safe pair of hands. Um, And so, yeah, you fixed up for me and Matt to chat and just instantly I knew this was the perfect job for me it was the dream job and I was just so hoping that I was going to be able to get it and and unknown to me Matt was thinking yes I found the perfect person for the job yeah yeah. love that and you know what sometimes as a recruiter in the middle of all this um you you just get a feeling that if the two people just meet they're gonna fall in love so to speak ignore the the, the cvs and all that sort of stuff just 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 meet and have a coffee or whatever you guys did and, and it will click i mean you don't get it right every time and, and and i appreciate your nice comments but i still i still feel gutted about what happened you know, not you know what one or two of the roles that didn't quite work out for you but it's it's, it's great that talking about it now looking at it from a helicopter perspective how it's got you to where you are now and you're really happy um yeah. that's that's great what does it so what does a chief operating officer actually do at a at a, at a small but growing or medium-sized consultancy what's the day-to-day is it is it everything uh yeah it is it's a little <laughs> bit of everything <laughs> uh so uh in terms of the uh, the salesforce project um ultimately all of our salesforce projects roll up to me Um, And that has both an internal and an external facing side to it. So internally, it means that if um, a consultant is having a problem on a project or they're worried about something, they hit a roadblock, they uh, don't have 
the knowledge to be able to solve a problem, then they come to me and I can help them. With the external facing part, that means that if a customer has any concerns about a project or um, wants to check in about something, then again, I'm their person. Mm. So that's the kind of managing projects. Then similarly to that, ultimately the performance of projects rolls up to me. So I need to be making sure that we're delivering on time and on budget to customer satisfaction and that equally we're hitting our own milestones in terms of you know, our revenue forecasts and that we're getting paid and all of those practical things are happening. So we maybe, you know, we have a lot of projects, maybe 20 or 30 sometimes running at once. So that's quite a substantial amount of work. And then um, I also am responsible for the back office. So, um, you know, all the uh, HR people and accounts and just generally making things happen kind of comes into my remit. And then uh, we have our innovation center in Soho. And so ultimately kind of, if there's a leaky toilet, and that becomes my problem as well. Really, I mean, that's you know, that's you're almost describing the, a founder's role, aren't you? In that respect, because yeah, you do have to get, get literally yeah, roll your yeah. sleeves up and get stuck in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. So, and then, so Matt's role is really he he's responsible for kind of managing the relationship with Salesforce. He's responsible for all of the sales, all of the strategy all of setting the direction about kind of what we're going to go after, where we're going to grow, um, our key partnerships, how we grow internationally. So there's a really, and, and of course the two of us cross over because, I mean, Matt's a very talented consultant in his own right and far more technical than me. So the two of us kind of cover for each other and, yeah, it just, it just really works. We're kind of really different, but we really get along and, yeah, we work brilliantly together. And I think between us, we do a pretty good job of keeping things going. Fantastic. Um, well, that's, yeah, that sums up what a chief operating officer does. It's uh, something that I was, I was always curious about. It sounds like, you know, everything. So, uh, but that's, you know, having discussed your career today, you can see why you're, you're like I say, the perfect candidate for that. Um, I can't believe this has been 45 minutes already. Um, so I need to, I need to hurry up and, and try and ask you just a couple of final questions. If that's okay. Um, yeah. One of the ones we normally ask is, is there, and I know this is off the cuff for you, so you might not have an answer, is there a particular project that you've worked on in Salesforce that you're most proud of for, and, and, you know, for any reason? Ooh, that's a great question. What yeah, sorry, I should have warned you about that one. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a, probably a few different things, actually. So I think... Um, Sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. So rolling out postcode anywhere, anywhere that I've rolled it out has always yeah. been really great. And now they've been bought, I think they've been bought by Locate now. Um, but there's such a tiny little app that can make a world of difference. I think BSI doing the Blueprint CPQ, which was really at the edges of what was possible, that was super rewarding. I think the um, some of the Conga projects I worked on were really good fun because, again, you could do something fairly small and make a huge impact on mm. customers. And then I think while I've been at Presedo, we recently um, went live with a community for a big non-profit and they absolutely loved it. I don't, I don't have permission to name them, um, but they probably wouldn't mind, but I ought not to. But they um, have a community that was for people running out of school holiday clubs. 
so that they could share best practice and ideas. And we made a community for them that was really beautiful and that had a fantastic chat function so that they could all share their own best practice and, and ideas. Um, and they loved it. So that's the thing that makes me really happy is that everyone in that organization immediately had ideas of how they wanted to use it and what they'd do next. Um, and so that was very satisfying. Oh, you know, fantastic answer considering you, uh, you didn't know that question was coming. So that's fantastic. Obviously, I, I appreciate you can't name them and that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, three there, normally only get one. So that's really good. Um, do you, okay, I'm close to wrapping up, I promise, but do you have any particular tips? Assuming that, you know, people that listen to this are, are people that are going to want to aspire to, to follow in your footsteps, if you like. Um, do you have any tips for people about their career or if there was one thing you would say to someone at the beginning of their career to do, is there anything you could think of that you would give as a tip? Yeah, definitely. So I've given a few, I think, through the conversation. Yes. But the one thing that I would always suggest is that if you want to build a career in Salesforce, you really need to understand business first. Mm. So... Salesforce, although it's a, it's part of the high tech industry and it is ultimately a technology product, and you need to be able to to have a, a tech brain to do well because it's so embedded in how and how organizations operate. You really, if you want to get into the space, you could do a lot worse than spend a year as a as an admin temp going from company to company. Uh, doing different kinds of roles, different admin roles, different call center roles, and really understanding what makes businesses tick. And And I did that in my early years of working. I left school at 17 and worked, and I worked in loads and loads of different jobs. And at various times between jobs or while I was at uni, I, was t- I would temp if I had any spare time. And then you're doing a week or a month in a company, and then boom, you move into the next one. And that's the way you really learn about what makes offices work what makes organizations work and the more you get to grips with that the more you can see repeating patterns repeating personalities Hmm. because ultimately business is all about people and when you really understand what makes organizations work and people work only then can you build a sensible salesforce org for them um, because otherwise if really what you know very well is salesforce you're you might you're just going about in the dark with your hands tied behind your back because there's no way you can really map that knowledge of Salesforce to what the organization's doing. So learn about organizations working lots of different jobs, build up your knowledge that way. That would be my big tip. Like that, what a great tip. Thank you very much for that. I was, uh, I'll, I'll be writing it down as well. So um, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so uh, I am... Um, Oh, was there anything you think I should have asked you? You know, any anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I appreciate I've kept you longer than I thought. I can't think of anything. You know what? If you'd said to me before this call that you know we were going to be chatting away, I'd have thought I'll struggle to think of anything to talk about. So your questions are very good. But also, it's only when you stop and reflect on it you think, God, wow, I really have been doing this stuff for ages. I sort of take that for granted sometimes. I know, and um, obviously, yeah, uh, um, I, I. I I see and meet you quite a lot, and I, I always love uh, chatting to you about well anything really. Um, but obviously, really appreciate you uh, being being part of the, the the podcast. And I would like to think it might not be the last time because I might do more more of these with you. So, uh, um, for the sake of the podcast, I thank you very much, and um, hopefully, speak to you again soon. Yeah, thanks a million, Lee, and thank you so much for all your help over the years, both. Oh. 
that's fine. Great people for me and finding me great jobs. And yeah, I always say to people that you're the only Salesforce recruiter that I would really rely on in this space. It's very, very well earned. Thank you very much. Um, that That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's episode. Uh, a huge thanks to Penny for, for you know, a really, really good insight into her career and how she's got to where she's got to. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. You can share it in all the usual places um, and look out for the next ed- edition, which should be hopefully in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys.